0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Our mission is to respond to God's love by following Jesus and loving God, loving one another, and serving the world. If you're in Knoxville, we'd love for you to join us in person. In the meantime, enjoy this message from God's Word. Our gospel lesson and sermon text is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. And when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them... Go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her and tie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word speaks for itself. Thank you that in it, we can find life and truth and peace. We find your presence in it. And by your spirit that you use it to massage deeply into our hearts who we are called to be in light of who you are and what you've done. So, Father, I pray that you would be here now, be here this morning. Send your spirit to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds to your word, because you alone have the words of eternal life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A big, important, and fun week for the church, not just Cedar Springs Church, but the church all throughout the world. If you are new to us, if you are new to the Big Sea Church, if you are joining us from home and this is not typically something that you do, I just wanna encourage you, you're here at a great time. This is such a integral moment for us as we think about Jesus's last week on earth, his last week of ministry, his last week of life. And you've also come at a really fun crossroads. We are finishing up missions month, the whole month of March has been missions month. So we end that as we begin Holy Week. And those things fit so beautifully together because Jesus lived an entire life on mission. That's what he did every day of his life here on earth. So the beauty of those two things fitting together is awesome. And James has done such a great job over these last three weeks reminding us of Jesus's teaching on missions and how important it is for us to know. And here's the thing, the thing about Jesus, by him just telling us to do those things, we should just do them. If that's all that it was, was him telling us, that's enough. But he, this week, what we're going to do this Sunday is look and see Jesus's example of missions. He's not just someone who talked about it and didn't do it himself, but he wants to show us how he lived a life on mission during his last week. And that's, we're going to look at, because I don't know, for those of y'all that are parents, I'm sure you've either said this or heard this from another parent, because I said so. It's kind of the worst words ever as a kid. There's no justification. There's no reason. There's no logic. It's I have authority and you don't. So just sit and take it. Jesus could have done that. It's not what he does. He has the authority. He gives us the teaching, but he wants to walk alongside. And I hope that each and every one of you have examples of that in your life. I was blessed in high school to have a English teacher named Ken Stansberry that we all called Kenno. He was a young life leader, and he was the epitome of someone who lived out what it meant to follow Jesus. Now, did he teach us awesome, great things? For sure. Did he teach us the Bible? Absolutely. But he lived it. He was a guy that invited us over to his house and cooked dinner, and cooking dinner for a bunch of high school guys is no small undertaking, He took us on trips to places where we could go and have these great experiences and talk about it. Talk about Jesus, talk about our relationships, talk about each other. But what was awesome is when he did that, he continued to encourage us to reach out to other people. And I would dare say there is no place scarier in the world than a high school lunchroom. Just, you see all the different stuff coming in together. All your fears kind of well up. I was a young life leader for a while. Worst part every day was sitting in the parking lot of Halls High School, just slapping my face, getting geared up. You can do this. You can do this. You're good enough. You're smart enough. People love you. You can do this, man. You got this. I can't tell you how many times I'd sit there for 20 minutes and just leave. It's like, "I I did my best. I got here. That's worth something. He would go up to like the kids sitting by themselves and he would take his lunch and hang out with them. And we're all like, man, social suicide. I can't believe this guy's doing this. And then what happened is other of us would join with him. We saw his example. We knew what we were supposed to do. And because he did it, it made it accessible to do. And so we wanted to do it. That's the beauty of what I hope that we see this morning is we're gonna see Jesus set this example for us. And I think the important place to start is this change in intensity in what Jesus does here, okay? There's going to be a big shift, just as intentional as he always is, just doing his purpose. He's very purposeful every day, but his intensity is going to change on a dime of what we celebrate today. And we're talking about Palm Sunday, okay? And if you didn't really get it or understand it, this is a little bit of a weird story. Think of it this way. Imagine after church, I say, hey, we're all going to Bearden Hill, And some dude is going to get on a donkey and he's going to ride down Bearden Hill. And when we get there, we're going to take off our, you know, our sweatshirts, our jackets, whatever outer garments you've got, you're going to throw them in the road in front of them. And then we're going to go like cut off limbs and stuff at the different businesses on Bearden Hill. And then we're going to shout at them. How many people are up for that? Anybody like, I have nothing better to do today. That sounds great to me. I'd love to do that. Because again, in our way of thinking, okay, Grand theft livestock. So we've stolen somebody's donkey. We've vandalized businesses and we've wasted some of our nicest clothes just to throw on the ground. It seems like an odd choice because if we don't understand the picture of what's happening here, it feels like a waste. It feels like inaccessible. What Jesus was doing here was fulfilling prophecy and fulfilling scripture. That's why we read Zechariah 9.9 for our Old Testament passage. He was very intentional. I'm about to paint a picture so no one misses it. Zechariah 9.9 was well known by the Jews of this time. It was a verse of hope for them that at some point, someday Jesus is gonna bring a Messiah and we can't wait. And when we're not sure who it is, he's gonna come to Jerusalem like this. He's gonna be riding on a donkey, riding in. So be on the lookout for that. Be ready for that. So when these people saw this moment, they jumped on the opportunity. Their eyes were opened as it were to see what Jesus was about. He is gonna come as the king. Now at this time, when a king rode a horse into town, he was coming with war. When he rode a donkey and he was coming with peace. So the King of Kings, the God of the universe comes in humility on a donkey to bring peace to a difficult city in Jerusalem. He comes to love and care for them and see them in a new way. He makes this very clear pivot. Here's who I am and I want you all to see it and know it. And then the second part of that is he accepts the praise of the people. How do the people respond? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. They're saying, when we say Hosanna, this word meant save now. There's this desperation in their voices of come, save us, take care of us. It's an acknowledgement that he's the king. When they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, directly from Psalm 118. When they called him son of David, it was a messianic title. They are basically, whether they realize it or not, they are saying, here's the one we've longed for and we've waited for our whole lives. He's here. Come save us. Now it won't take us long this week to realize they had a totally different idea what the Messiah was going to do than what he did. But what's so interesting is what Jesus does with their praise as they throw down these cloaks, as they cut down these branches, as they shout and sing, he accepts it. And what's weird about that is if you think about Jesus' three years of ministry, how did he typically handle moments like this? Think about after he fed the 5,000, the people were so enamored by what he did, they wanted to crown him as king. And what does it tell us that Jesus did? Said he disappeared from their sight. Don't know how he did that, but love to know. They want to crown him king rather than go, great, I can be king. That's, that's part of my, my plan here. I can't wait. We'll just do it a little early. That's fine. He Disappears. How many times did he heal people and they wanted to go shout from the rooftops, hear what this guy did, see what he did for me. And he goes, don't. My time has not yet come. Don't go say anything yet. How many times did he cast demons out and the demons wanted to say that Jesus was the son of God and he refuses to let them. There was this moment that for all this time, his time had not yet come, but now it was the time. And now he sits, he rides, he accepts the praises of the people. Yes, I am exactly who you think I am. I am the king who is to come. I am the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I am the one who can save you. I am the Messiah. But why would he have done that? Why now? Of all the times he could have done it, why now? And what's the purpose of that? Because here's the thing. If what his goal was is I want as many people as possible to know that I'm the Messiah, mission accomplished, Jesus can just go home now. Because what we hear is this. It said the whole city of Jerusalem was stirred up. And this word for stirred up in the Greek, we only see it a few other times in the New Testament. And you know what it refers to? It refers to an earthquake, that everything is shaken, Everything has been changed. Everyone feels the effects of it. So his entering in has changed the entire dynamic of what's going on in Jerusalem. No one is immune from it to the point that people are asking, gosh, who is this? What is going on? And you have to understand this was not orchestrated by the disciples. It wasn't the disciples like the day before go, hey, let's start putting some money out. Hey, and if tomorrow Jesus is going to ride down, I need you all to gather and just shout stuff and throw stuff. It's going to be great. Just come on. It'll be a party. You want to be a part of this. Jesus does it and the people can't help but respond. They can't help but see it and wanna be a part of it. We don't have context for that. The best I could come up with as I kind of racked my brain is you know years ago when we used to fly in airplanes and go to the airport you know, a long time ago. If you've ever been there when a veteran walks by I can remember one time so distinctly, like all of a sudden there's this commotion and there's this murmur coming from off in the distance. You see people gathering, you hear clapping, you hear people whistling and saying stuff. You're like, what is happening? There's that moment. And then they come by and you see it is someone thanking someone for their service for this country. And it's like this praise just comes out. Like even if you didn't prepare to say, it, you wanted to say something and thank them. It's this moment for Jesus, except the whole city's joined in. And even the Pharisees go in John's gospel, as they record this, he says, the whole world has gone after him, which sets in motion their plan to kill him. Jesus, in a change of intensity, shows himself to be the Messiah, accepts the praises of the people, but not just for this moment, because he keeps moving. And what I think he wants to do for this crowd and for us is a set an example. He's saying to them, I'm showing you I'm the king. I'm accepting your praises that belong to the king. So come and see what kind of king I'm gonna be. Come and see what kind of kingdom I plan to usher in in this moment. Come, follow, watch, be a part of what's gonna happen. And so that's my encouragement for us today. We're gonna, in a very quick amount of time, we're gonna run through a little bit about what happens this week and what Jesus did for us, for others, as an example of what we're called to do as followers of Jesus Christ. We wanna see that picture today. And I encourage you to do that yourself. If you don't have a plan devotionally this week, I would encourage you, most Bibles kind of basically have some little table in it that tells you the daily events of Jesus last week. If you don't have one, email me, I'll email you one but every day read what Jesus did, read what he taught about, read what he experienced, read read how he interacted with other people as we go through this week leading us to Easter Sunday. We also have the Lenten devotionals that touch on that, which is great. And then I really wanna encourage you, come and be with us in this moment. Come to the Maundy Thursday service as we celebrate the table and the institution of it. Come on Good Friday as we mourn and lament the death of the savior of the world. And absolutely come on Easter Sunday. Come as we celebrate the hope that we have that death does not win. And death is not the end of the story for those that trust in Christ Jesus. But as we look at it to this morning real quickly, Four things I want you to see that Jesus does that we can also do. He came, he cared, he shared, he loved. Nice and easily. Came, cared, shared, loved. First off, he came. He is a God who pursues. Think about God in the Old Testament. Even when Adam and Eve sinned, what does God do? He goes to find them as they hide, as they try to cover their shame. And I think too often that's how we see God. We think he's aloof. We think he's up there. We think he's angry and frustrated at us, or he's just waiting for us to get our act together. He's up there going, Andrew, if you could ever like deal with some of this stuff in your life, then maybe we'd be okay. But you are a mess, dude. There's just no way. When what we see over and over again in scripture is God is the one who initiates. God is the one who comes after us. God's the one who pursues. He did it with Adam and Eve. He did it with Abraham. He did it with Moses. He did it with Elijah. He did it with Jonah. He did it with Gideon. He did it with the prophets over and over and over again. God is the one who comes after people. Regardless of how they've screwed up and messed up, regardless of their sin and shame and guilt, he's the one who pursues time and time again. And Jesus is the exact same way. When we look at his life, what does he do? He came to pursue the disciples. Today's day and age, we think, hey, that's not maybe the best route, Jesus. What you should do is go set up shop somewhere. You know, Jesus has like a little like shop, like at the Mount of Olives, like, hey, come on in. Whenever you need something, I am here for you. Just come on. But what did Jesus do? He went where the people were. He went to the crowds. Yes, he would go into the temple, but he went place after place after place where people were and crowds would gather when he was there. He didn't just wait around. He went and pursued over and over again. And we see this here. He came to Jerusalem. He came to a group that he knew would end in his death. He wasn't naive. He didn't think, hey, you know what? This could work out really differently. Like, you know what? If I just play my cards right, maybe you know we're gonna get out of this whole death thing. Luke tells us he set his face towards Jerusalem. Nothing would stop him. This was his passion. This was his purpose. This was his moment. He came resolute to the cross. He came to come after you to come after me, to find us in whatever dark hole we've been hiding in to say, no, 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 I love you. You're mine. Reminds me of, you know, one of my favorite books. I mean, I'm an avid reader. I love to read books. Um, The less pages, the better. So I'm a big fan of that. Um, And I've got to get the ones that really kind of fit on my level. So recently I've been reading The Runaway Bunny again. I mean, it is like, man, the depths, it's just... If you're looking for a good read and have 10 minutes, I mean, woo, it'll just knock your socks off. Seriously, kids, if you've ever read this book, it is one of the best books ever. And I wanna just give you a little synopsis for the adults, because you don't remember. There's this baby bunny and a mommy bunny. And the baby bunny says, I'm gonna run away from you, mom. I'm gonna run away and go do my own thing. And the mommy bunny says, if you do, I'm gonna come after you because you're my bunny. And so the bunny comes up with all these great things. Well, I'm gonna go be a fish. And mom goes, well, I'll be a fisherman and I'm gonna catch you. Well, I'm gonna be a bird. Well, then I'm gonna be the tree where you'll come home to. Well, then I'm gonna be a boat, a sailboat out on the water. And the mom goes, well, I'm gonna be a wind that blows you where I want you to go. So I'm gonna be a flower in a hidden garden. And the mom goes, well, I'm gonna be the gardener and I'm gonna take care of you and find you where you are. Over and over. There's this beautiful interplay between the two of them. And at the end, finally the bunny gets it. The baby bunny goes, Well, fine. I guess I'm just going to stay here and be your baby bunny. And what's beautiful about that picture is that's what God does for us. You are his baby bunny. You never expected to hear that this morning. (laughs) He loves you. He comes after you because you belong to him. You are his, his precious treasured possession, his creation that he loves so deeply and intimately. He is willing to go even to the cross to come to you. What you think out there keeps you from him, nothing can. Nothing can keep us from the love of Christ, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, we're told. He comes after you and he does that that we may go after others. Talk about that more later. He came, he cared. There's this deep love and compassion that Jesus had. Luke in his gospel, when he gives us this account, the very next thing he says is, as Jesus goes over the last hill, overlooking the beauty of Jerusalem, he weeps. Only two times in the Bible we see this. It's one at Lazarus's death when he sees the hurt all around him. And then here when he's looking over Jerusalem because he is looking over this city that have people made in his image, people that he cares about and loves and he knows what's gonna happen. He knows they're not gonna believe. He knows they're gonna reject him. He knows that some are gonna kill him. He is not weeping for himself. He weeps for the people of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you would but know that I come as like a mother hen and I long to gather you under my wings and to love you and to take care of you. If you only knew. But he knew that they wouldn't get it. He knew that they wouldn't understand. And rather than be like frustrated or angry about it, he weeps for them. He weeps over them his heart is broken for those who were lost and far away. This has been the most convicting part as I've kind of studied this week and I've tried to avoid it. And God loves to like smack it in my face when I do that. The question, the first question that came to my mind, it's like, Andrew, what what breaks your heart that doesn't affect you? What, What do you, what's the last time you wept over something that doesn't have any bearing on your way of life or what you do? And it was a very convicting thought. It was like, Andrew, why don't you weep over the violence and death in East Knoxville that's happened over the last six weeks? If if there were four teenagers who were shot dead in our youth group, I'm pretty sure I would weep over that. But because it's in another part of town, out of sight, out of mind, do I just, I'm not even moved to compassion, I don't care. Jesus wept over the hurt other people. COVID, can we just have an honest moment? Can we just be honest? Just us. I'm so sick of wearing masks. I'm so sick of social. I see all y'all just like shaking your heads. Good. I'm sick of social distancing. I'm sick of the stupid things I have to think about all the time when it comes to COVID. I'm sick of not hugging people. I'm sick of all that stuff. But do I weep for the 557 families who lost someone because of COVID this year? Or the thousands who had people who were like hospitalized or the hundreds and hundreds that continue to have like ongoing health issues because of COVID? Or do I only focus on my little discomfort, my little bit of frustration of things that are hard for me? Do I weep for the folks last night who slept outside in the storm that most of us didn't even hear? Is my heart broken for the brokenness in the city the brokenness around us in this world. For those who don't know Jesus, is my heart broken for them? I've had to really dig deep to wonder and think. Jesus had a heart of love and compassion and it reflected out in the things that he did. He wept over Jerusalem that we might weep over the hardships and hurts of those around us. But he didn't stop there. He also did one other thing on Tuesday of the Holy Week, or Monday of Holy Week, he cleared the temple. And for some of you are going, Andrew, you're making a stretch here, buddy. Clearing the temple had zero to do with me, zero to do with people, had everything to do with God and creating the purity and holiness. Great job, by the way, if you thought that. That's good theology. I appreciate that. But what we miss, if we don't understand the context of what's happening here, when this is going on in the temple, it's where it happens. Now, as you know, it was people were changing out money so they might use temple money. They were buying sacrifices. Their sacrifices would be pleasing in worship. It was a wild and crazy place. Probably much like, again, in old days, back, way back when before we can remember, like 2019. Like if you remember like the food court at the mall on a Saturday, like Saturday at lunch, food court at the mall, and you're close to Chick-fil-A. Like maybe that's a better example. The, the noise, the craziness, like I get like, oh, just get off me. Like it's just pre-pandemic. You know, it's like this noise and craziness that's going on. That's much like what would be happening here. The sounds of animals and people and shouting and bartering and all this at the temple. It took place in a part of the temple called the court of the Gentiles. It was the only place at the temple that non Jewish people were allowed to come and worship God. So imagine you come and you show up to pray, to hear, to listen, to worship, and that's what you're surrounded by on all sides, inescapable. Jesus saw that. These who've been marginalized in so many ways, and he came not just to have compassion, he didn't go. I'm really sad for that. I really hate that for them. That's really tough. And walk away. He came as a man of action to do something about it. And it would have been a very controversial thing. Imagine these people who had grown up in the Judaism religion for all their lives. Well, this is just how we do it, Jesus. You, you buy the thing, you, you trade the money out. It's a little bit loud out here, but yeah, then you go inside and things are fine. But for him to say, I see those that other people don't see. And I wanna provide and help and care for them in deep ways. He calls us to do the same. What are the ways that we can not just be people of compassion, but people of action for those who are hurting, those who are in need, even today? He came, he cared, he shared. He took the advantage of the opportunity with people around to make sure to teach about God's kingdom, about who God was, reminded them of ways that they need to be changing up their life. They need to warn them how to watch their lives, encourage them to give, gave them the greatest commandment to love God, love your neighbor. Because it's easy for us to stop at the compassion route sometimes. Andrew, okay, okay, I'll go to places and people. I'll even care for people. But boy, this is a step too far, especially in our pluralistic society. I'm not about to go tell people truth when everyone has their own truth nowadays. I'm not about to go share the gospel with somebody. I'm not about to go tell people God's word. That seems a step too far for me where Jesus was doing all these other amazing things, he made sure that people needed to hear the truth. They needed to see who God truly was. It's not just enough for us to be involved with the lives of people for years and years and years. Those are great, awesome things. And I encourage you to do it. Share the gospel out of relationship. Don't go walk and take a track downtown and think that's evangelism because it's not. But if you've got a relationship with somebody for 10 years and you've never shared the hope that is within you because we're scared, because we think we don't know enough, we don't get enough. Christ empowers us. He gives us what we need to say and your life in and of itself is a testimony of his grace and mercy. Share what you know because that's so important for them to hear truth. One of the things we support as a global missions is Bible translation. People go, wow, why would you still be bothering with Bible translation? I mean, doesn't everybody have a Bible? Um, Wycliffe will tell you there's 3,700 languages where there is no Bible. No God's word for them to read for themselves. The importance of God's word getting out to people in their native languages, in their heart tongue. They can hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that starts here with the people God has already put in your life to share them with them the hope that you have. He came, cared, he shared, he loved. The last part of this, two great pictures of what he shows his love. One is this by serving others. When you find in John 13, when we're up in the upper room, there's this beautiful phrase at the beginning that I just, I was kind of blown away when I read it. He now wanted to show his disciples the full extent of his love. He's like, he's loved them. He's gonna love them to the end, but he wanted them to have a clear picture. If you ever doubt that I loved you, this is gonna be the definitive moment. It's the full extent of how I love you. And he takes off his outer garment and he wraps a towel around his waist and he goes disciple by disciple and takes the worst, nastiest, most terrible, most awful job that only the lowest of the low servants ever did. And he washed those nasty feet, including Judas's who would betray him just hours later. He says, Let me, show, want to show, me to show you what love is. It's by serving other people. And Jesus kind of doubled down on that. If you remember when he's restoring Peter at the end and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he goes, of course I love you. Do you notice what Jesus tells him to do? He doesn't say, dude, you need to get your act together because you are a mess, Peter. You're the rock. Come on, buddy, get with it. He doesn't tell him to sing better or read more or do anything else. He says, okay, show your love for me. You're not gonna earn my love. You've got my love. But you wanna show it? Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, go and serve my people the ones that I love, the ones that I care about, the ones who belong to me. We are so blessed at this church that we have so many servants who minister behind the scenes and have done so for years, and you'd never know their names. Think of Tom and Linda Reeser, who've been in the nursery longer than I think I've been alive. Loving on, Sharon for Kids, Sherry Lamb, who works with our elementary school kids. Every ministry has these folks that they could say, they do this. You think about Stephen and Kevin, who every Sunday are here early to make sure that we can have live stream and that the slides work and that music sounds good. We got folks who help set up all these different rooms and things that we do. We've got the folks, if you have no compassion for our poor parking team this morning, you are cold, heartless people. They're like the post office comes snow or sleet or rain or hail. They're out there. Like it's unbelievable. Why do they do that? Because they love Jesus. They love him. They're crazy about him. And they want to show it by serving his people. And as we're moving forward, and this is not a place to be guilt. Or If you take it that way, I'm sorry. That's not what I mean at all. I just want to encourage you. If we're gonna move forward, if we're gonna try to do things that we used to do and have programs and opportunities and we can't wait as we look to the summer and the fall for some of that to happen, we can't do that without more people like you. We can't do that without people who have a heart, who wanna love Jesus by loving God's people here on this campus. We need people in the parking lot. We need people to greet people outside the doors. We need people to hold babies. We need people who want to invest in the lives of students, be it in elementary, in middle school, high school, to coach on the ball field for our sports ministry. He served us that we may go out and serve others. And if you're thinking I don't have any gifts, we'll find them for you. Don't worry. Even if you don't think you have any gifts, I guarantee you we can find some. He served, ultimately served, but then he died. He died for us. Easy to forget the fact that he loved us. Love nothing, knows nothing greater than this that one may lay down his life for his friends came to die, came with his eyes focused on the cross to come and die for you and for me to bring us close. Because ultimately as he brings in God's kingdom, the way he could finally consummate that is to be able to bring us into the kingdom. Think how mean it would be if Jesus came to reveal the kingdom and go, oh man, we got this and this, it's gonna be awesome. And great. But you're not good enough. He shows us the kingdom and then he says, you are separated from the kingdom by your sin, but I'm gonna take care of that. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna pay the price. I'm gonna pay the ransom for you that you might come and enjoy this kingdom forever. Now, where we may be called to serve, I don't know how many of you are gonna be called to die and I'm not saying anyone is today. But as he gave up his life for us, you may be called to give up other things for him. Maybe our selfishness, maybe our convenience, maybe called to do something that's hard and difficult and uncomfortable in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know what he's gonna call you to do, but he died that we might be brought close to him and be with him, that he might use us to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever he puts us. It is not by accident that you are at the jobs you're in, the neighborhoods you're in, the schools you're in, the teams you're on, the activities that you do. God has great purpose in that. As he comes, he sends you to be his ambassadors and his witnesses. So some questions for you to think about today. As we've heard all this, what should we do with it, Andrew? Andrew? I want you to think for yourself, where are you to go? Where are the places God's calling you to go? Maybe it's through an individual in your family or someone at work or someone you just know that you just need to go. I need to go initiate with them. I need to go have breakfast or lunch with them this week. I just need to spend some time with them. I just think that God's calling me to do that. Who needs your care? Who does God's stirring your heart towards compassion for? Who, when you think about them, you're just like, I really, I really need to love them. I really need to do something. For them. I really need to help them. Who can you share truth with? Who are the people either in your family or otherwise that you just know who don't know Jesus and you've wondered for a long time, I wonder what I should do about that? And let me give you a great easy step in that. The best first step in inviting someone into a relationship with Jesus is to take them somewhere where they're gonna hear the truth preached. So I would encourage you, if you've got people like that and you're like nervous and scared about, I don't know how I'm gonna do this, pick up one of these cards as you leave today and just go hand it to them, invite them to church. Statistics tell us that more than 50% of like people who are unchurched would come to church if someone invited them to come. Invite them to come, take them out to Easter lunch talk to him about, hey, what'd you think about that whole church thing? Man, our pastor's got a Scottish accent. How awesome is that? There's a lot there. You could run there for a long time. (laughs) He'll probably say we, which I can't wait for. Like I'm not to put any pressure on him, but man, come on. You've got opportunities to go and share your own story. Here's why I love the Church here's why Easter matters to us. It's not just a new dress and Cadbury cream eggs. It's like, there's more than that and that, but more than that. Take one of these, invite someone else. That's a great first step. And last, who can you love in Jesus' name? He's bought you at a price that you may go and love others in his name. And as we go to the table, let us be reminded of that sacrifice for us that he was one who came, he's one who cared. He was moved in the spirit, but he also was a man of action. He's one who shared truth when people need to hear it. And he's one who loved. He loved by serving us. And he loved ultimately by dying for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example Jesus sets for us. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the need that we have for it and in it. And thank you that he sends us out by his power. This is not stuff we do in our own ways, Father, but it's stuff that you send us out to do. You give us the strength and the energy and the word. So Father, I pray that you would burden our hearts now. Help us to see the places we're called to go today, this week, the people we're supposed to care for and love in your name, for the compassion that we should be having on others around us the ways that we can serve, and ultimately the ways that we can die to ourselves that we may make much of you. Father, help us to do that for your glory. In Jesus' name.